Well, good morning. Hope you're all all right this morning on such a beautiful, warm day. It's great to have days like this, isn't it? It makes everything feel quite different. Well, we are in the last of our series looking at His presence. We've been working through kind of different aspects of enjoying knowing God, being in His presence. David kicked off the series with that title, Enjoying His Presence, how praise brings us to his presence, and his presence then causes us to fall in worship as we're surrounded by God's presence. I then picked up the next part, looking at Be Still and Know, our key verse for this year, Be Still and Know That I Am God. And we looked at what that means, why it's so important, and how we go about doing that. Then the third part in the series, which David picked up again, was looking at the link between worship and grace. You know, we worship because of God's grace to us. It's, the, it's our motivation. God has done it all, and it leads us to, to glorify, give him praise and honour. And then last week, Jonathan looked at the link between worship and commission, how when we're before God, it compels us to go out and share the good news. We looked at the life of Isaiah and how his calling, his encounter with God, affected so much of what he then went on to do. So today, we're looking at worship and wonder, Wonder and worship, the link between these two W words. And we're going to be looking at a passage from Exodus 33, uh, verses 7 to 11, which is the passage that comes immediately before the part that David kicked off the series with. So we're kind of coming back full swing, if you like. Uh, So I'm going to read today from the the NIV, and it should be up on the screen. There it is. Marvellous. I'm particularly going to be focusing on verse 10. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. A lot of tents get mentioned in there. I'm very grateful I have not been in a tent this week, which... Historically, we would have been during this last week at Catalyst Festival. Don't worry, it will be coming back next year. There'll be opportunities for tents then. But we've got this tents, and uh, what we're going to look at today is a bit of recapping, revisiting some of the things that we've been looking at in this series. But before we dive into that, it's probably worth just a little bit of background on this particular passage. So this, as, as I said, is in the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, and Exodus is the, is the time when God leads the Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt. So he's, he's appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He's commissioned him. He's, he's used him to lead the people out, doing incredible wonders uh, to enable them to escape from the Egyptian rule, led them through the, the Red Sea. And they've now got to this point where Moses has gone up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God. Okay, so so he's up, so Moses has gone up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. He's up Mount Sinai. He's meeting with God. While this incredible encounter is going on, and, and the, the Bible talks about clouds and thunder and lightning, it's very, very dramatic. 
the people down below, the Israelites, led by Moses' brother Aaron, have lost sight of all of this. And in fact, they essentially turn their back on God and they take off their gold earrings and they melt them down and they make this golden calf. And then they worship this golden calf, saying, this is, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And God says to Moses, you need to go back down. This is what's going on in the valley. You need to know. So Moses comes down furious. He's been up there with God, talking with God. He's got the Ten Commandments. He's furious and he smashes the Ten Commandments on the ground. And he takes this golden calf and he grinds it up. And in fact, it says quite gruesomely, he grinds it down, puts it in the water and makes the Israelites drink this water. And Moses then asks God, forgive your people. And it says the Lord strikes them with a plague but doesn't wipe them out completely. He's still their God. And he says, go into the land that I've called you to. Go into the promised land. But he says, an angel's going to go with you because I can't go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Now, this this incredible encounter that gets relayed on from God leads the people to repentance. And this is where this bit of the story that I've just read, this bit of the passage comes in. So they've repented, they've realised what they did was wrong. And there's some sort of, yeah, we're going to want to live for God now. We've come back again. And it says that Moses built this, he set up this tent of meeting, this place outside of the camp. So they're all camped together in their tents and Moses takes a special tent and sets one up away from, far off. Now, this isn't the tabernacle that had been spoken about just a few chapters before, a tabernacle that was going to be God coming to dwell amongst his people. This was like a temporary tent, if you like. And it was far off, kind of that indicating again, actually, things aren't quite right here. But even so, Moses goes out there and he meets with God. We have this incredible description in verse 9. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down. God's presence physically seen, this cloud coming down. And he would meet with God. And the people would come and stand outside their tents and look on and see this amazing event taking place. They would stand in awe and wonder. And that awe and wonder led them to worship. So there we have it. Wonder and worship. Worship and wonder. As I see it, it's a bit of a circle, these two things. Not a vicious circle, but a virtuous circle. It doesn't really matter at what point you start. Wonder leads to worship and worship leads to wonder. But as we consider it today, we're going to start with wonder because that's how it seems to appear in these particular verses. The people stood, they saw this cloud, and then they worshipped. As someone said, wonder is the basis of worship. So these Israelites, they saw the pillar of cloud come down, and they stood in awe of this incredible sight of God's presence being manifest, being shown, but also the fact that God was speaking with Moses, their leader. 
As we sung this morning, I stand in awe of you. They stopped, they contemplated. We're called to stop and contemplate on God's wonder. John Piper puts it like this, true worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. Right worship, good worship, pleasing worship depends on a right mental grasp of the way God really is. And I would say that comes from our stopping and just standing in wonder, being still in God's presence. I want to flag a a couple of useful books on this topic of worship. They're not new books by any means, and I haven't even checked whether they're still in print, so this is really bad recommending them, but they're good books, and I have a copy of each if you want to borrow them and you can't get hold of them. So one is Face Down by Matt Redman, the worship leader, uh, Christian songwriter and church leader. Uh, Brilliant book. I'm going to just read a couple of quotes from that in a minute. Uh, And then there's this other book called Glory in the Church by Jared Cooper, who's also a worship uh, leader and songwriter. And uh, particularly if you're involved in worship in any way, then this would be a really helpful book for you because it's looking at, as it says, they're a fresh blueprint for worship in the 21st century. So Matt Redman in his book Face Down talks about this link of wonder and worship and the importance of it. And he puts it like this, worship thrives on wonder. We could admire, appreciate, and perhaps even adore someone without a sense of wonder. But we cannot worship without wonder. For worship to be worship, it must contain something of the otherness of God. I've come to love that word otherness. It's such a great worship word, a sense that God is so pure, matchless and unique that no one else and nothing else even comes close. He is altogether glorious, unequaled in splendour and unrivaled in power. He is beyond the grasp of human reason, far above the reach of even the loftiest scientific mind, inexhaustible, immeasurable and unfathomable, eternal, immortal and invisible. The highest mountain peaks and the deepest canyon depths are just tiny echoes of his proclaimed greatness and the blazing stars above, the faint emblems of the full measure of his glory. Blazing stars above, the faintest emblems of the full measure of his glory. Being filled with awe and wonder of God is good and right and important. It's the fuel for our worship. Now, wonder of God can come from a variety of sources, all sorts of different places. You know, sometimes God just breaks in and grabs your attention and amazement. If we can have the next slide, please. Nick. So I was walking home from the church offices the other day. Some of you will recognise this road just by the airfield roundabout in Hatfield. And this poppy was just growing on the roadside. And God just stopped me in a moment. Wow, in amongst kind of just the tarmac and and the general life, there's this flower popped up. And poppies, they only last for a day or so, each flower. But in that moment, God broke in and just stopped me. Wow, the wonder of God. Sometimes he does that, doesn't he? He just breaks in in a moment. Something will grab us and we'll stop and go, wow, God, you are truly amazing. But often we can do things to help foster that sense of awe and wonder. We can make decisions that either push God to one side or bring him to our focus. 
You know, very much linking in with this idea of being still and know that God is God. We're called to draw aside, to declutter, to make a point of looking for God in things. You know, you just think of how children respond to the world around them, especially young children as they discover different things. There's that excitement, that fun, that wonder. God wants us to rediscover some of that again, allow ourselves to have that joy and that wonder afresh. It's so easy just to get on with the routine of things. Even if life is, is good, it's that we can just fall into the sleep, work, eat, sleep, work, eat. God wants us to stop and wonder. And as I said, I think there's all sorts of places that can create wonder within us for God. What might draw you to be filled with awe and wonder of God? For me, it comes in all sorts of different places. You know, the, the, the hymn, How Great Thou Art, kind of sums up or points at some of those different areas. You know, the first verse or two talk about when I consider the world around me, creation, I sing, how great thou art. Another verse goes on to say, when I consider the cross, as we were doing again today, my soul sings, how great thou art. And the final verse, the future promise how great thou art. For me, creation is one of the biggest things. When I look and stop at creation, I can't help but stand in awe. You know, from the huge scale, like when I stood on the side of the Grand Canyon, this vast expanse that videos and photos cannot capture. When I stand at night and look at the stars, or the power of waves crashing on the rocks and the cliffs during a windy day. Or maybe it's on the tiny scale, the smaller scale. You know, looking through a microscope, I remember looking in science lessons and just being in wonder. Wow, my God did that and he did this. One of my favourite activities to do at the moment is sitting in the garden watching the swift circle round and round and round. I was doing it last night, I was doing it this morning. They come swooping down, chasing one another. Oh God, he made those. He, he, he formed each one of those in perfection. Then I look at a baby scan. Wow, God, you're knitting a child together there. Rainbows, don't they just make you go, in themselves, they're incredible. But then when you link it with the promise in Scripture as well of God's goodness, oh, wow. So creation, maybe that's something that you can consciously choose to do in these coming days and weeks is, is look for God in these things around us. Clearly, one of the big ways that we can be directed towards God is when we consider Jesus himself. When we read the Gospels, and we see how he interacted with people, the way he went about blessing and encouraging and healing, his teaching, what wisdom, beyond comparison, and then ultimately his sacrifice on the cross. He did that for you and me. God did that for you and me. And yet he rose again. He rose again, pointing 
to something better. You know, when we consider what Jesus has done for each one of us, it can lead us to wonder. Again, another incredible hymn, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, maybe it's in acts that we do, like communion. Maybe that's something that moves you to wonder as you stop and you pause. You know, God, Jesus gave those to us. He said, in, do it in remembrance of me. We can be led into awe and wonder as we do that. It could be in singing hymns and worship songs. So we consider the words and these truths. It could be listening to testimonies. Maybe that leads us to awe and wonder. And next Sunday, it's going to be awesome. We're going to be celebrating God's goodness in our lives. And as we do, we'll be led to a fresh awe and wonder of him. Now just, if you're not able to be here next week and you've got a story you want to share, please either email it into the office this week or even video yourself and send us the link because then we can share it as well. It'd be great not to miss out on these because I know a number of people can't be here next week but you can still send in your testimony in some way. It'd be great to have those. Just a little personal testimony to me that's relevant to today. Sometimes when I'm preparing a preach, I might have weeks thinking about it and mulling it over, and it might not actually come together till the morning. And there's been times when I've been up at four or five o'clock on a Sunday morning, and God, what on earth am I going to say this morning? Well, this week... God allowed me to have prepared the preach by early Thursday afternoon. And so I had all Friday, didn't have to be thinking about what I wanted to prepare. I could do other things that he wanted me to do. But what was incredible, and this is kind of, this is, this is something that makes me just in awe and wonder of him. Some of the examples he gave me to write down, and I've just shared with you, he then put in my face or played in my ears in the four days since I finished preparing it. So, for example, I mentioned, I wrote in here about how baby scans lead me to awe and wonder. And I ended up having a conversation with some people about baby scan on Thursday. Then on Friday, someone else was talking about rainbows with me. Then yesterday, I was driving home from visiting Joan and I was listening to a new CD and the song came on, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I'd already written it in my notes. And this morning I turn on the television and they're saying, how great thou art. That's in my notes. It's things like that. When God does things like that, it cannot be a coincidence. It makes me stand in awe and wonder. Are you looking for God in your life? Are you on the hunt to say, Where, what is God doing? I want to be moved afresh. I don't want to just go through the, the mundane and the ordinary. Jesus came to give life to the full and, and full abundance. And I believe that comes from looking and seeing God in places. Take your blinkers off. And if you're struggling to ask God to take them off, say, God, show me. I want to see you at work. Maybe it's through reading biographies. I love reading Christian biographies. I've just read one in this last week that admittedly was quite hard to read. It's about a, a guy who won American Idol about 11 years ago. And uh, his wife died four weeks before he took part in American Idol. And it's his story about how he's come to see God through it all. Christian biographies, they're so powerful. So powerful. 
Maybe it's dwelling on God's promises that leads you to awe and wonder. You know, we have a sure and certain future hope that one day all tears, all pain, all disease, death itself will be abolished and we will be with Jesus forever. Think of the best moments in your life and they pale into nothing compared to what we're going to have forever. That leads us, that can lead us to awe and wonder, can't it? Maybe it's meditating on truths about God himself. The scripture is full of things that can stir our hearts if we'll only allow them. They won't if we don't read them. But if we read them, we can be stirred. To quote Matt Redman again, this is what he puts, about the mystery of God. Hear this and allow it to, just to inspire awe and wonder in you. The God we worship is clothed in mystery. He reveals and he conceals. He invites and he hides. He confounds and he confides. The God who rests but never sleeps, who thunders and whispers, terrifies and befriends, whose anger lasts only a moment, but whose favour lasts a lifetime, who is all-consuming yet kind, all-knowing yet capable of forgetting the sins he forgives. The God who wounds... Uh, sorry, the, the God who wounds and binds up, who injures and who heals. The king whose footstool is the earth, yet humbly washed the earth from the feet of those he discipled. Who reigns in righteousness, yet carried our shamefulness. Who walked in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day, yet sweated drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane one agonising night the God of the smallest detail and the grandest design, who issued, issued ornate designs for an extravagant temple, yet found pleasure in the humblest offering of a widow's two tiny coins there. The suffering servant who commands the universe, the sinless friend of sinners, the saviour who hung in agony on beams of wood he himself had called into being. He is fearsome yet welcoming, unfathomable yet knowable, the God of kings and beggars, presidents and paupers, who fathers the fatherless and works through our weakness, burning with holiness yet refreshingly graceful. He who is worshipped by the multitudes of heaven yet rejoices over every single returning heart, perfect in every way yet able to help those who are being tempted he who is faithful even to the faithless, for he cannot disown himself. This is the God we worship, the God of all mystery. Psalm 65 verse 8 says, The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Let's make sure we are part of that. The whole earth is filled with awe. Let's take warning from the Israelites who'd seen all that incredible stuff as God brought them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, set them free. And yet within days of Moses being on the mountain, they've turned their back and they're choosing other things. Let's never lose this sense of wonder. Another quote I read this week in preparing said, the heart of authentic worship is loving obedience and uncontrollable wonder. 
Don't ever lose it. So wonder, the Israelites, they stood, they saw the pillar of cloud and they, they were filled with wonder and that led them to worship. They stood and worshipped. Filled with wonder led to worship. The circle, one leads to the other. So how did they worship? Well, they said they stood and they worshipped. When we're filled with wonder, how can we respond in worship? I want to enlarge our view and our understanding over these next few minutes about what we mean by worship. Because acts of worship can be many and varied. Our God is awesome. Our God is wonderful. And that drives us to worship in all sorts of ways. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. In other words, every part of you, love your God, demonstrate your love for God. Not just inside, not just in your heart, but all your soul, all your strength and all your mind, every aspect of you, every part of you can be caught up in worship. As we feel that wonder inside, that inner worship, it should lead somewhere, an external expression. And we can do that wherever we are, whenever we are. Whatever we're about, whatever we're doing, whether it's Monday morning at work, whether we're meeting with a neighbour for a coffee, whether we're out doing our shopping, whether we're at the hospital having an appointment, whatever we're doing, we can do it to glorify God as an act of worship to him. You know, as Jonathan said last week, worship is the idea of giving someone worth. It comes from the idea of worth-ship, showing and displaying the worth of God. And this, this sense of wonder, this inner worship, can manifest itself in a number of ways. It can be through our mouths, as we praise God and as we repent of things we've done wrong. That's a way of worshipping him. But it can also be through our bodies, through the way we use our hands and feet. The way we love sacrificially those around us to meet their needs. You know, as, as we on a Tuesday, give out food to those in need. We can do it as our worship to God. As we stop and listen to someone on the school playground, a fellow parent who's finding life tough, and we show them compassion, we can do it as our worship to God. As we help someone who's struggling to carry their shopping, we can do it as our worship to God. So our worship is so much broader than just what happens here on a Sunday morning. It's our whole lives can be done as a response to the wonder we have for God. But that said, it also does include our Sunday mornings and when we're singing songs. So when we do worship together, what should it look like? Well, maybe a whole mixture of things. And I just want to flag up a few different scriptures right now that talk about God's people gathering to worship him. 
through songs and declaring and what was going on. Because I, I believe that actually worship in this sort of context should be varied. There's times for joy and there's time for reverence. There's times for celebration and there's time for awe. Charles Spurgeon put it like this, joyful noise is to be accompanied with lowliest reverence. Your churches tend to lead to one side or the other. High praise and, and jumping around or falling down and worship. But I think scripture suggests actually there's a whole variety. And if we're going to give God the glory, we should be looking at this whole variety. So there's a time and a place for awestruck worship. Revelation, the last book of the Bible, says this, Revelation 4, 9 to 11. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So we've got the living creatures who are declaring, they're giving glory and honour and thanks to God. So they're using their mouths to do that. And in response, the 24 elders, and there's some debate about what those 24 elders are and what they represent, but what they're doing is they're falling down, prostrate on the floor, on the ground, before God. The response is that they are falling down in awestruck wonder. And more more than that, they're also laying down the crowns. These are what the Bible talks about, God giving us rewards for the way we've lived our lives. And yet they're saying, actually, these rewards... You are so much more than the reward. And as they do, they're then speaking out more praise. So we've got falling down, we've got declaring, we've got saying, and we've got laying down crowns. We rewind to just after the bit we're looking at today, Exodus 34. Moses' response to encountering God. If you remember from what David talked about the other week, he, he said, God, he said to, uh, Moses said to God, Will you reveal yourself? And God said, I will walk past you and I'll, I'll stop you from seeing my face. So he has this incredible encounter with God. And what does Moses do? It says he bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. His encounter, his wonder, led him to bowing down, laying down before God. So there's a time for awestruck wonder. And maybe as a church, I think we need to explore that more. You know, these last few months we've been pressing into moments of quiet and stillness and silence. There's more of that to come. There's more of that to come. Because there's times when it's right and proper, our response to God's hugeness and magnificence and his holiness is to bow, to fall down before him, our maker. But then there's also a time and a place. And this probably feels more natural to our style of church for exuberant praise. Although perhaps maybe we wouldn't go as far as exuberant or manage praise. Psalm 63, verses 2 to 5, says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you and I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. 
So we've got a lifting of hands, we've got a singing out. But also in there we've got the verse 4 that suggests actually, as I was saying, it's not just about singing, it's a life of worship. Because that's what it says, I will praise you as long as I live. So there's those moments of corporate gathering and worship, but actually it's a whole life of worship. Psalm 47 verse 1 says, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Getting there on exuberant praise. We lift our hands, we clap. The Bible doesn't stop there. It's famous of eight. The king himself, David, what does he do when he's encountered the awesomeness of God? No. 2 Samuel 6, 14 to 16 says, wearing a linen ephod, so not very much clothes at all. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, the king of all people. He was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. They're not holding back. There's no golf clap going on. Oh, bravo, Lord. You are wonderful. In fact, he was doing it so much, this is what happened. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. This is David's wife. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Let's never be people who despise others for the way they respond to God. David was going for it. He couldn't hold back. He'd seen the wonder. He'd seen some of this awesomeness of God and he broke out into a dance and shout and there's trumpet blasting. That's exuberant praise. There's a whole raft in scripture from falling down in awestruck wonder to clapping, to shouting, to singing, to dancing. God wants us to know this whole range. Not all of it all the time, no. There's, there's different times for different things. But we might find in the course of even a few minutes in a service, we might go through a whole range of things. How can that possibly be? Well, Nehemiah 8, verses 5 and 6, you get some of this range. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, that's the book, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In three verses, we've got shouting out praises, we've got lifting hands, we've got replies, and we've got falling down. It can happen. Psalm 149, verses 1 to 3. Again, a whole mixture of things. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Notice there they're gathered together as a people. The importance, there is the importance of gathering for corporate worship. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. Well, we get the tambourine. We haven't yet had the harp at church. So, you know, we might be, you might be sat there listening to this and going, well, yeah, I get that. I I see that's what scripture says. 
but um, I'm all right with clapping, but I'm not really a dancing person. That's just not me. Or I don't mind, I don't mind joining in with the songs, as, lo- as long as no one hears me, because I'm not a very good singer, but I don't, I'm, I'm happy to do that, but I'm not lying down, the floor's dirty. Well, today it isn't. <laughs> but it's just not me. I don't, I don't do that. That's not what it's about. What are we doing it for? We're doing it for his glory, his praise. Our wonder should lead us to worship and a whole variety of ways are appropriate for what God is revealing. And it might be we take up a whole load of different postures within a whole range of moments. God wants variety in worship because he is beyond just a little snapshot. He is enormous and deserves our praise and glory in a whole range of ways. This church has been called to creativity. We've had it spoken over us over and over again. And we are full of creative people because we're made in the image of our God who is creator. So we are all creative. Don't any of you label yourself as not creative, you are. But in that we're called to express our creativity. And we've had it on weekends away. We've had it again recently. We had a first uh, First Fruits Friday meeting recently where God brought it back again and particularly calling out songwriters there's those of you in our midst who have songs bubbling we need you to press into that to enable us to know some of this breadth of worship God's calling us to some of you have been called to express your worship through art we need that you know art was used a lot in scripture to help people focus on God How are we going to dance if we don't have people who are going to lead us in dance? Some of you are able to do that. We used to have more dance happening here. We used to have an amazing lady called Luzo who did all sorts of dance and she, she led us into things. There's more of that to come. We've had it historically. We've got some incredible songs we still sing. But there's more to come. God wants variety. He deserves variety. It's worth noting at this point, I've said that wonder leads to worship, and I believe that does. But also there are times where you have to just make a decision, I'm going to worship God. You know, you get it in the Psalms, bless the Lord, O my soul. Sometimes you have to speak to yourself, because you might be bowed down with things, you might, there might be all sorts of difficult things going on, but God is still worthy of worship. And we might not be feeling the wonder, but sometimes we just need to say, I'm going to make a decision to sing this song out. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to choose to raise my hands in submission to him or to bow down. I'm going to do this physical act. And do you know what so frequently happens when you do that? The wonder comes in. That's what I mean by it being a cycle. Sometimes we start with the worship and it leads us to wonder. And sometimes we have to make that decision. I'm going to do that. I'm going to turn up. I'm going to come to this corporate chance to worship together. I might not be feeling like it. I might be fed up with things, how things are. But I'm going to make this decision because it's right and good to do so. And the wonder comes. And that leads to more worship. And that leads to deeper wonder. And so on. God's calling us as a people to be filled with wonder and to worship him in a whole variety of ways. 
The wonder can come from many sources. Ask him, God, show me, reveal yourself to me in different ways. I want to be moved afresh. I don't want to just do life that's okay. And then as we're filled with wonder, be responsive. How can I respond to you today, Lord? How would you like me to demonstrate my worship to you today? Will it be in the way I treat my next door neighbour? Will it be in the way I encourage my boss? Will it be as I fall down in worship on a floor, however dirty it is? We're going to have a time now to wander and worship afresh. The kids are going to be coming back in a little bit, but we've got time to do that. So I'd love the band to come up. This is an opportunity. Now, whichever side of the circle you're feeling on right now, if you're feeling, yes, I'm full of wonder right now and I can't wait to worship, great, go for it. If you're thinking, oh, my stomach's rumbling and I'm ready for lunch, make that active decision. I'm going to worship God because he is still worthy. He is awesome. And be expectant the wonder's going to come. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to continue just to focus our eyes on him. Father God, I thank you that you are awesome. You are wonderful. You always have been and you always will be. And I pray for each one of us, wherever we're, whatever we're feeling right now, Lord, I pray for those of us who are filled with wonder regularly. Will you do that even more? Will you stop us in our tracks? And will you help us to show our worship to you in a whole variety of ways? And Lord, for those of us who are struggling to see any wonder, Lord, will you break in? Help us to make this decision. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And I pray as we do, you would fill us afresh. Lord, we have so much to offer the world. And yet, if we don't know what it is, how can we offer it to them? Come impress yourself upon us afresh, even now in these next few minutes. Lord, you call us to be hope of the world. Show yourself afresh to us that you're our hope our joy, our peace and our strength.